Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Coming up today on the GM Shuffle, we got lots to get to, including what are people actually saying when they're making comments? Plus, where in the world is Tom Brady going? Our weekly feature and the Tyson Fury fight. What a performance against Deontay Wilder, not only in the ring, but also outside of the ring as a true showman. But coming to us from the Carolinas is Michael Lombardi. Mike, apparently you're covering the Democratic debate last night. Now you're doing some work for the book. You get your grandkids there. Tell us all what's going on. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. I'm down here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got a little work to do on the next book coming up, do some research, get to see my grandsons, Leo and Dino, enjoying it. I mean, it's kind of fun. And then I'm right there near Charleston. I could see that wonderful Democratic debate. I mean, where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? That's this nation crowd that has lonely eyes to you. That's what I tweeted last night. After watching that, I'm like, this is the best we have to offer. We're in trouble. It was uh, it was quite the show. There's no question about it. I love that the segment we're going to do today, Mike, which is analyzing what people are saying despite what the actual words are. So, you know, it's like you have to parse what they're actually saying. And so we're going to start with one of our favorites, Ryan Pace, who, as you've memorably said, for those who are new to the GM Shuffle, who is starting his car every morning because of his pick of Mitchell Trubisky. The Bears are different now, at least the opinion of Pace. Take a listen to what he says, and then Mike will explain what he's actually saying. Yeah, I think when we look at last season, and that's really what you know the, the last couple months and the coming months are all about, is is it's a multitude of factors, you know, and it's not just one person, it's not just the quarterback, it's a it's a number of factors, and for us that started January first, and you know we made some staff changes, and you know evaluating our own roster and establishing our needs, and and now it's just attacking that, you know, and it's creating competition everywhere, and that's creating competition to quarterback and throughout our entire roster. All right, so that's Ryan Pace talking about Mitchell Trubisky and. Listen, if you look at the cap space here, Mike, the NFL Players Association lists the Bears $14.6 million in cap space, but according to SpotRack.com's most current projections, could be as much as $26 million in cap space. We all know he's lying, but what's he actually saying when he's talking about Trubisky and, and locking him up and making him the guy? You know, I don't know how he does it with a straight face when he talks about Mitchell's accuracy like he's actually seen this on tape. And I think, you know, what happens is you lose faith in your organization when you try to lie to the public who's watched the same thing you have. Now, they may not have the same eye that you have, but they've watched Mitchell throw the ball in the dirt. They've watched Mitchell make horrendous plays. They've watched Mitchell throw receivers not even come close to catching them. Like I said, if he was in the county fair, he never win a stuffed animal. So you can't sell that he's accurate, right? You can't. And he goes in front of this, and literally he would be better off just saying, look, we're disappointed in the season. We're disappointed with everybody. But they handle Mitchell with kick gloves. It's like they don't want to offend him. And they're dealing with a guy who basically doesn't have the mental capacity to handle any competition. He just wilts. And so they're kind of placating to him when they should be coming out and saying, look, we're disappointed. You know, we had a lot of high hopes for the season. Our quarterback, everybody, including me, we all let ourselves down. We all have to get better. If we don't improve, we're going to bring competition in. And the best players are going to play. What he's saying is basically all the other t the, everybody else is at fault except for Mitchell. That just doesn't cut it. Bottom line is this. Trubisky is going to be the starting quarterback for the Bears next season, right? Because whether or not Pace believes what he's saying, obviously they, they drafted him so high, they took such a gamble on him, it, maybe they would feel like it would be uh, premature to admit it was a mistake, even though you and I both agree he's never going to be the quarterback they think he is. 
No, and, and they're not going to pick up the fifth year option. So that they're telling you right now that they're not sure about the fifth year. Now maybe he's going to pick it up before May. I think he's crazy if he does. I mean, who's this competition for MVP Mitch? And then where is he going to get? You know, he's got so he could have a twenty six million a cap room. He's got to fix a lot of things on his team. And how does he end up getting a quarterback to come in? Is he going to draft one, you know, in the later rounds? Because he doesn't have – the Raiders have his first-round pick. You know, there's a lot of conversation about maybe trading for a quarterback. Maybe he could do that. But, look, I I think this whole thing – I think Pace is going down with the ship. I think he's the captain of the Titanic. He's going to go down with it. He's not going to change how – he drafted this guy. He believes the lies that he's telling, and so therefore he's just going to go down with it. He's not going to cave into it because the reality of it is is he's got too much invested. Somebody on Twitter said to me yesterday, is it all just ego? And I think it's really – that's what it is. I think it's partly ego, and no one wants to admit they made a mistake. And when you go through anything in decision-making, there's about 28 variables when it comes to bias, right? There's 28 variables, and when you look at draft history – and you go through all these biases, whether it's you know confirmation bias, whether it's self-serving bias, which this one is, you can find mistakes. And when you analyze drafts, 99.9% of the time, the bias that you have is the reason why you make mistakes. I mean, the bias that the Portland Trailblazers will have Clyde Drexler, so we don't need Michael Jordan. That's a bias, right? You believe that, right? So you take Sam Bowie or you take Ralph Sampson, whomever. You know what it is? I mean, so you basically do that. And therefore, you end up blowing the pick. Yeah, and ultimately, it's not a lie if you believe it. And Ryan Pace believes <laughs> believes it, at least in his own head. The other one here is we continue with quarterbacks and what they're actually saying. Pat Shermer, instrumental in selecting Daniel Jones out of Duke, fired now the offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos. Jan Daniel Jones' first offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Mike Shula, also given the pink slip. So, new head coach Joe Judge refusing to mention the quarterback by name through three sessions with reporters. Take a listen. It's not going to be fair for me to go ahead and set expectations for any player on our roster at this point. Okay, I'm looking forward to getting them in and working with the spring and training camp and letting them establish their own identity and building around the, the players that show through competition that we can go ahead and improve. So, Mike, why doesn't he just come out and say, yeah, Daniel Jones is a starter for now, but we'll see. He, he doesn't even say him by name. What's he really saying here? He's saying that it's open competition. He wants to be able to stand in front of his team and say, look, fellas, no one has a job on this team. No one's. You have to earn the right to make this team. He's got to do that to install the Patriot way. I mean, that's ultimately what he's doing. He's committed to the Patriot way, and, you know, and he's working his staff hard. I mean, I haven't been talking to – five people at the combine and they all say the giant coaching staff is in there early in the morning they're working late at night he's working them I mean he's working them I'm sure the clappers got to be saying like what the hell's going on here like there's a lot of things and and, and judge is never going to give in to basically a rewarding a player who's done nothing with the starting job so the reason he doesn't say Daniel Jones's name is because he wants to treat all the players the same he wants to make everybody come in and compete for a job meanwhile Gettleman is out there talking about, you know, Bill Walsh's ability to see the second year of players and the development, you know, and, and he's talking about how he read the book, Finding the Winning Edge, he was quote, quoted as say. So, again, this is the perfect scenario. You have two different themes going within an organization. And if they would just let Joe be the spokesman and really protect themselves from Gettleman talking, because they really should. I mean, unless Gettleman has a lawyer sitting next to him, they shouldn't have talk because they, they need to, you know, remember when Michael leans over to Tom Hagen and he puts his hand 
hand over the mic to get advice from Hagan. You know, I mean, that's the way Gettleman should have. A, he should have like Tom Hagan sitting next to him at every press conference because he's only going to say something that's only going to blow it up, right? Like, like Dave, seriously. Somebody sent me a tweet today and says, Dude, "Why do the Giants keep letting him go out there?" Because that's the Giants. I mean, they're going to let him do that. I think if Joe just allows himself the ability to run this team the way he wants to run it with the Patriots, which is compete competitive, and you can just see it right now, they are all in competitive nature. Now, I will say this, A.D., this whole collective bargaining agreement, we're going to talk more about it later, but that's going to get into the Patriot way. When you want to establish what you want to do in terms of competition and they're taking away practices from you, it's going to be really hard. You're going to have to be adaptive and creative to change what you're doing from the Patriot way because the Patriot way was built on a lot of practices, a lot of competition. Now that's going to be taken away if this CBA gets passed. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But just one more thought here on the Giants, Mike. Similarly, just to how high the Bears drafted Trubisky, don't you feel like even if Joe Judge – like who has the real power here? If Joe Judge sees Daniel Jones in practice and training, goes, you know, I don't think he's good enough to be our starter. Can Gettleman overrule him? Isn't that the natural course of action because of the fact they drafted Jones so high? Or do you think Joe Judge will have enough power to be like, no, man, I don't think this guy is the guy that we can win with? Oh, I think Joe's going to go kicking and screaming. I think if he doesn't think that Daniel Jones is the guy, he's going to kick and scream. He's not going – I mean, look, he, he was going to be the head coach of Mississippi State. He got this job, right? He's playing with house money. I mean, he's, he, he's not going to play nice in the sandbox. He's going to go down kicking and screaming because he's going to walk in there and say, hey, this is what it takes to win in the league. And I think ultimately – I think he'll like Daniel Jones. Will he love Daniel Jones? I think that's the main question. I think the question no one's asking Gettleman at the press conference is, is Daniel Jones better than Justin Herbert? Is Daniel Jones better than Tutatoa? Is Daniel Jones better than Joe Burrow? I think that's the fundamental question that has to get asked because no one does that. No one compares it. So when you took Daniel Jones in the top of the round, and you passed on a pass rusher, did you really think that there was not going to be another opportunity to get a quarterback? I mean, at that point, did you really – is this the guy – that's why we grade players, because we grade players to be able to say that this guy's going to be a blue-chip player, this guy's going to be a red-chip player. And if they're not, then you can't take them at that point. Remember, the draft is about money. And so that's the question that needs to be asked. Would you, take, would you take Daniel Jones or would you take Joe Burrow? Now, they're not going to get Joe Burrow. He's going to be gone. Will you take Daniel Jones or Justin Herbert? Well, I'm just telling you, Justin Herbert's probably one of the hottest guys in this draft. I mean, he's going to go early in the draft. Anybody has him going in the teens is crazy. He could easily go in the top five. Tua, no one is going to know where he's going to go because until they start looking at his hip, no one's going to be able to say he's going in the top five, top three, or you could love him because ultimately the doctors control where he's going to go. But ultimately, you know, the Giants are already trying to sell the fourth pick. They're, they're basically doing that. And Judge announced that. Judge said, hey, look, we're willing to sell the fourth pick because the reason they're doing that is because they know Herbert's a hot commodity. They know that. Everybody kind of in the NFL knows he's going to be moving up. And because of that, you know, to get in the top five – I mean, if just say Tua's healthy, we could see three quarterbacks picked in the top five. Now, it might not be the teams that are drafting. It may be some other teams moving in there, but that's the reality. Yeah, definitely risky there with Tua, but you're right. If you look at his track record, how explosive he is, big arm, the fact he played at Alabama, if he's healthy, then I'm with you. I think he gets drafted pretty quickly. One more here in terms of quarterbacks. What are they actually saying? Raiders GM Mike Mayock held a press conference scouting combine on Tuesday. Anyone who's been following the team can't be surprised. He fielded questions about the team's outlook at quarterback. Here's what he had to say about Derek Carr. 
Took two questions to get to Dirk, but thank you. Uh, I mean, I mean, the bottom line is this. I think everybody needs to understand at what level Derek Carr played last year, okay? The guy completed 70% of his passes. He had almost a 3-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. I think we're number 11 in the league in total yards. We were 7th in third down conversions. We did a lot of really good things on offense last year. The disconnect was we didn't score a lot of points. You're 11 in yards and 24 in points. There's an issue. It's defense, it's special teams, it's not scoring in the red zone, and it's not scoring in goal-to-goal, okay? So, to me, those are the issues. Derek Carr played at a high level. I'm very happy with Derek Carr. What I've told everybody I've been in touch with since the day I took this job is we're going to evaluate every position every year. And if we can get better, we will. And I guys get tired of me saying that, but that's really what I told Mark Davis before I took the job, and that, that's my mantra. I don't make anything of any rumors. All all I can tell you about free agency, because I'm not allowed to talk about any of them anyway, is that I've watched tape of just about every guy out there at every position. And all that does is uphold what I'm telling you, is that every position gets evaluated every year. And if we can upgrade it, we will. All right. To quote Harvey Keitel in the Irishman, now is not the time to not say. So what he's basically saying, Mike, is if Tom Brady's available, of course we're going to sign the greatest player of all time, right? I think he is. I mean, look, I mean, he makes some really valid points. I mean, he, what he's doing is he's buffing up the trade value for Derek Carr. I mean, that's what he's doing. I mean, at the end of the day, all those numbers look beautiful, but they could, they've won 11 games in two years with Derek Carr as their starting quarterback. You know, Andy Reid went to Kansas City and traded for Alex Smith and made the playoffs in his first year. I promise you the Alex Smith team that Andy Reid coached was not better than what the Raiders had. Raiders got a lot of money in their offensive line. Now, we know their defense is bad, and I think Mike's right. Defense and special teams were poor all year. But the fact that Carr doesn't have what Gruden wants in terms of that leadership and all that. I think that's the problems that keep screwing up. And I think all he was doing yesterday was obviously selling and pumping up his player by citing those facts. And and it's easy to fall in love. Hey, look, Carr was seventh on third down. Was it Carr or was it Gruden? They were 11th in passing yards. Was that Carr or was that Gruden? See, this is where we get a little bit disconnected. We always want to give credit to the player, which they deserve a ton of credit. But sometimes the scheme makes the player. You know, when someone catches an out route, you know, on against cover three and they're giving you the out, you know, don't go all crazy on the play. I mean, some throws, the scheme allows you to make them. And where I think Gruden's disconnect with Carr has always been, and it will continue to be, because his inability to make second plays within the play. I mean, Gruden's watching Mahomes, and he's watching plays break down, and all of a sudden there's a big-time play. And Carr doesn't make those plays. And I think there lies the disconnect. And I think what Mike's saying is true. Look, everything Carr's done on paper looks good. But the reality of it is, we've won 11 games in two years. Yeah, he did give some good stats here, right? In terms of trade value, right out of the gate, hey, 70% completion, 3-1 to touchdown interception, 7th and 3rd down, blah, blah, blah. But you're right, ultimately, if you can get Brady, that's a much different story. And after the break, seriously, where the hell is Tom Brady going? He officially becomes a free agent next month, much like the AFC champion, the Titans intercept any other team's potential of landing the Asian superstar. We'll discuss if that could happen next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So... 
as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game, my new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. You know, I love playing football. I love playing for this team. I love playing for this team for two decades and winning a lot of games. Again, I just, I don't know what it looks like moving forward, so we'll just take it day by day. Where the hell is Tom Brady going? All right, good stuff there. Thanks to Nesson for the uh, audio there of Tom Brady. The Titans have 20 pending free agents, including a couple of highly coveted players, big needs to address in the draft, edge rusher, backup quarterback, likely backup running back. So GM John Robinson, Coach Mike Vrabel, taking the podium on Tuesday at the Combine, first time addressing the media this offseason, and In terms of potentially getting a guy like Tom Brady, Vrabel said he was aware of the since-debunked rumors about Brady visiting Nashville a few weeks ago before adding, I don't really follow much of that on social media. Other than that, there was little budging on the potential of the Titans going after Brady in free agency, a suggestion that has gained traction since ESPN's Adam Schefter offered this nugget while appearing on The Rich Eisen Show. Schefter said, we need to pay more attention to Tennessee than we thought. Tennessee is more viable as a potential Tom Brady destination than we thought. What do you think, Mike? Well, I, I think that, you know, the one thing we've always said all along in the Tom Brady sweepstakes is where is Tom is that comfortability is going to be a critical, right? He's got to feel really comfortable with the people in the organization. and He's got to trust that there's obviously an understanding and, and, and he knows John Robertson. He knows Mike Rabel really well, was a teammate of Mike Rabel. So he knows him and he knows that their team is pretty much set up. I mean, they can add some things, but obviously if they sign him back and get their, and get Henry back, which they obviously would do that, uh, then that gives them a strong chance to be a really good football team in terms of having some weapons. We saw Brown make some plays. They've got some skilled players. They've got a lot of expatriate players within the team. I mean, you know, Logan Ryan's a free agent. they got Malcolm Butler. I mean, it would be a locker room that it would be comfortable for him. I don't know what the long-term plan would be for the Titans. You know, would they sign Brady, let Tannehill go, and then draft one? Is that what they're thinking? That certainly could be the option. But it would create a ton of buzz in Tennessee. Would it make them a better team? Boy, I don't know. I mean, Tannehill made some great plays. I mean, when they beat Kansas City in Nashville, the third down run, he takes off and runs and powers his way through. Plus, that offensive line in Tennessee is a much better run-blocking line than it is a pass-blocking line. I think it's risky to go to Tennessee if I were Tom Brady. It's a run-based team with a run-based offensive line. But I think ultimately comfortability is going to play into this factor. I don't think there's any doubt. There's lots of great points you make there. One of which is, like you said, Mike, I'm not convinced he makes him a better team. Like Tannehill was so good for them 
Uh, that my first thought is not, hey, let's discard him. Let's go get Tom Brady. I'm thinking let's keep Daniel because obviously he fit well their offense. He performed well, comfortable personnel, et cetera. So I wouldn't uh, be rushing off. And I liked your other point too about Brady and the fact it's a run-based offense. Like I don't think he's ready to go out to pasture yet. I don't think he's ready to be you know, just a handed off guy and, you know, a third and four if I have to make a completion fine. I still think he feels like there's plenty of life in that arm, and I don't think he's ready to be diminished. I don't think he has to be the alpha male wherever he goes, but he's Tom freaking Brady, for God's sakes. I don't think he just wants to hand the ball off to Derrick Henry all day. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the interesting thing. And then where do they go? Like, okay, what's step B if they do this? And, you know, Schefter, look, Schefter's not throwing shit up against the wall. I mean, he's he's privy to all this information from, you know, he knows Rabel. He knows John Robinson. John Robinson's not shy about talking, so we know he's going to say what he thinks he's going to do. So, you know, we, we know that. And they also have been a, a haven for expatriate players. I mean, whether it's Deion Lewis, whether it's, you know, Malcolm Butler, whatever it is, is they've, they seem to. Now, they didn't pick up the fifth year on Corey Davis. So they're basically saying, do they have enough skill players to make this really effective? Brown was incredible. You know, they've got some tight ends. I mean, there's a met, there's, there's certainly elements of this team, but to me, I thought Tannehill was the difference in their team. There's no doubt. And his ability to move and make plays was really what, what I thought that they were really, really good at. And when they couldn't run the football, they really couldn't pass protect well enough. So you know, look, I, I, I think the, the thing, the other thing that, that's been reported is how the Chargers may not be in this thing because they, they felt like that may not be the best place for him. And I, and I still don't think the Chargers are the best place. I think it's Tennessee and the Raiders. I think those are the two teams that at the end of the day see their window as the opportunity to get Brady and they want to take advantage of it. Yeah, the Raiders were definitely the most interesting. I mean, you're bringing a lot of buzz there to that team. You're going to Vegas, him and Gruden together. I mean, that would definitely offer a lot of sizzle. Meantime, player leadership within the NFL remains, quote, majorly divided over the proposal of a 17-game season, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. So you wonder about how contentious this could be between the, the owners and the players themselves. The players apparently would like an increase in revenue share, improved pension, and further working conditions improvements before agreeing to a new CBA. Current agreement expires in March of 2021. They also maybe could delay the franchise tag. I mean, right now, the guaranteed revenue share, 48% in 2021, a potential increase to 48.5% upon the start of a 17-game season. But it's real simple, Mike. If you want me to play more, if there's a greater risk of injury, and of course the owners are saying, listen, nobody can cares about preseason anyways. Well, we'll get rid of a preseason game or two. We'll just have one more regular season game. The players are saying, fine, increase the risk of injury, then I got to get more money. How do you think this all plays out? I think when they take today, we'll find out later. We're recording this at uh, 9 o'clock on a Wednesday morning, and I think we'll see more of this come out later today. But to me, when they take it to the players, the players see more money, they see more drops, they're going to vote for it. I, I think all they need is a majority vote. This isn't like the filibuster rule in, uh, at the United States Senate. I mean, they just need a majority of the voting. And look, the owners were not unanimous with their vote on this. So there is some contention within their own ranks. I, I, my, my sense of it is, is I think it's going to be the, the biggest challenge is the 17 games. But I think the bigger challenge is for executives and coaches is to figure out how to get a team ready to play football with the way they've limited the practices. I think that's really the issue. How are we going to get teams ready to play football when we can only have so many practices, when the players have so many days off, when we can't really, they're limiting the the way to get around it was to go and have joint practices. They're limiting that. They're limiting the off season. 
I mean, the month of September essentially is going to be the preseason. It already is now. It's going to become more of the preseason. And I think this whole notion of playing 17 games, what they talked about yesterday was playing an interconference game in week 17, which means that, you know, Houston plays Seattle. Well, that game might not mean anything. You know, that game could mean nothing to the race. So players could take off. And then having the time off before the end of the preseason to the beginning of the season and the way the practices are with pads – I actually think when you break it all down, there might actually be less contact than there is with 16 games when they go to 17 games based on the way the practice is set up. Because right now, you know, teams are taking advantage of those practices because they have to. They don't want to play anybody in the preseason. That's interesting. It's a different perspective on it because you're right. You would just think more games, more violence. But if, you know, you got to kind of coach yourself and kind of, you know, go at the right pace, that awfully means a different thing in terms of injuries and, and risk management. Yeah. I do think this. I think that the teams that figure out how to have viable practices without pads, and now Bill Walsh did this years ago, is how do we have physical practices without pads and keep our tempo and be able to keep the player's pad level and tackling at an optimum level? See, this is where Joe Judge is going to get into a problem here because Joe Judge is going to go back to his office and he's going to look at the Patriots' practice schedules. And he's not going to be able to do those things. He's not going to be able to do tackling drills every day. Now, tackling drills in New England aren't live, but they are form-fitting, and you need pads on to really do it well. But you're not going to have pads on. So this is going to make his job harder. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just going to make his job harder. And the teams that are proactive in how they handle this are going to be the teams that, could, the, the teams that have better months of September and have a better, healthier season. I think it's going to be critical. Yeah, it's all about practicing better, practicing smarter, and like you said, making sure your team's ready to go without risking greater sense of injury. Don't go anywhere. It's one of the sports stories of the year, boxing story of the year, plus American Pie. What the heck are we talking about? We'll explain next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. One of the craziest boxing scenes you'll ever see, and that was before the fight. Tyson Fury comes in to Patsy Cline. 
He's singing crazy, written by the great Willie Nelson. And I'm thinking, Mike, I'm watching this with my buddies in Hocus go, are you kidding me? There's no way this guy's going to win. And he comes out like Apollo Creed. He's got the hat. He's got the jacket. I go, come on. And then I see Deontay Wilder come out. And after the fight, he blamed the fact it was this costume he was wearing in honor of Black History Month. It was a 45-pound costume. That's insane that he wore this thing into the ring. But that was all the pageantry before the fight. As for the actual fight, Fury was incredible. He pushes around Deontay Wilder. He was the clear underdog, and yet he comes up with a resounding victory. I mean, Wilder looked jelly-legged. And then after, he sings American Pie to the crowd. Honestly, it was one of the craziest scenes I've ever seen. I thought it was unbelievable. I mean, first of all, you know, the fact that both boxers got up in weight, which was interesting, right? So, you know, it's always hard when athletes put more weight on and then they got to box. Is Can they actually hold the weight? Can they endure? You know, as players get older in the NFL, they tend to lose weight because it helps them allow their quickness. You get You put weight on. And I thought, you know, when I was doing Visa this past weekend on Saturday, I thought, look, somebody's going down in this fight. I don't know who I thought it would be. Fury would go down, but somebody's going down because they can't handle the weight. And obviously it was Wilder, you know, and then he launches into American Pie, which to me is was so good. It was amazing. And, and my favorite line of all time is when they asked Don McClain what American Pie is about. He said, it, what does American Pie mean? He says, it means I never have to work again in my life. I think that's just awesome. I mean, it's great. <laughs> Do you have any idea what American Pie is about? Have you ever wondered what it's about? No, as you're saying it, I mean, think about the movie American Pie. I know what that's about. So I'm wondering, is it something along those lines? Well, no, it's about, it's basically, he wrote it as a theme to the 60s. It's a little bit like Billy Joel's anthem of Who's at the Fire. It was basically the when Buddy Holly died, the music died. And and it was a kind of a theme, and there's so much interplay. You can go online and listen to the words helter-skelter in a summer swelter. You know, I mean, there's so many great, like, it just so rhythmic to what he was talking about. And there's so many poignants. The three men I admire most, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's Martin Luther King, that's John Kennedy, and that's Robert Kennedy. I mean, so those are the those are like what his lines are in, in the song, and it's a powerful anthem to what he did, and it's incredible that you know somebody. I mean, that's a whole generation removed that Fury that Fury would come out and sing that. I mean, it's just incredible. I thought it was unbelievable. But the I, you know what I like though, Ad, I like the fact that there is some conversation about heavyweight boxing. Like to me, when I grew up, it was Frazier Ali, it was Larry Holmes, it was it was you know Mike Tyson. Uh, we haven't had that kind of feel anymore, have we? No, and you're right. I think specifically for American boxing fans, like obviously with DAZN, we've got Canelo Alvarez and Triple G, and those guys are great fighters. But I think you're right. For the casual sports fan, when they hear boxing, they think heavyweight boxing. To your point, growing up with Ali Frazier, you know, for me it was Tyson Holyfield. There's always something special about heavyweights, and now the buzz is back. People were talking boxing. I think there was a lot of buzz for the fight coming in, and now the rematch. People are fired up for this. Probably going to happen this summer. Uh, oh, I definitely think it's going to happen. I mean, look, the guy got his eardrum busted. I mean, how do you fight with your eardrum busted like that? How do you even stay within balance? I mean, some of the warriors that box is just incredible, right? And and how they are able to do it, it's just fascinating. So, yeah, I, I, think, the, I think ultimately what we're looking at is we're looking at a great rematch, and it's going to be a huge money day for both these guys. And, I mean, look, I, if I'm Fury, I'd go out on the circuit, sing a few songs. I mean, everybody liked it. <laughs> 
Can you imagine the heavyweight champion doing karaoke? I mean, Uncle Junior did it. I know Meadow was throwing bread at him while he was singing, but I mean, shit, Uncle Junior was brilliant singing that song in there. That was one of the great lines of all time when he comes in there and Tony sits next to him at, at Jackie Junior's funeral and, and Uncle Junior's eating and he says, the gravy's good today, which is the classic Italian line. The gravy is good today. Only in North Jersey would people understand that gravy's red. It isn't brown. I was about to say, and sometimes I, you know it's a true Italian thing, whether or not you call it gravy or sauce, right? That's always another discrepancy. Yeah, it's always it's the gravy's good today. It's just you know that's the best. And watching them dunk that bread into it, and then Tony eats it. I mean, it's like so perfect. And then he sings. I mean, look, you, you know, look, it, it's just so authentic. And I think that's what Fury was. Fury was authentic in what he was doing. Well, yeah, think about it. He was. It looked, everybody thought he was done, right? More than two years, public battles, addiction, mental illness. Like, people love a great comeback story, and that's a guy you can rally around. Normally, like, you think of Wilt, nobody cheers for Goliath. But in this case, Tyson Fury is such a charismatic guy. How could you not root for him? I mean, and the athleticism, both guys. I mean, they're both over 6'6", and the way they moved their feet and, you know, and did some things. I mean, it's really remarkable that they're able to, to have that kind of coordination and athletic skills and being so tall and being so big. I mean, you know, could you imagine Rocky Marciano, you know, was undefeated back in the day. I mean, he was a little, little you know, 5'10 Italian guy. He was basically could get barely get to 200 pounds, put him in the ring with Tyson Fury. <laughs> See how that would have worked out, right? <laughs> Would have been tough. Uh, GM Shuffle mailbag. Let's open it up. The GM Shuffle at gmail.com is where you can get a hold of us. This is from Philip B. in New York City. In the recent episode, Mike's of the Panthers will take a $15 million salary cap hit because of Luke Keekley's retirement. Why does a team get penalized if a player retires? Doesn't seem fair. And especially with the emphasis on player safety and head injuries, does the player forfeit the money too? Yeah, the player does for He has to pay back the remaining portion of the signing bonus. And it's a basically once he repays it, they'll get credit back on that as he repays it. But for the for the time being, until that happens, he gets charged for it. I mean, Barry Sanders had the huge fight. I mean, this is what Calvin Johnson was arguing about with the Lions. He he was refusing to pay back his signing bonus just because you get say you get fifteen million to sign a contract, and you sign it for five years three million of that of those dollars are spread out over five years even though you got the money completely up front well if you retire in year two you know you've only earned six million of the 15 based on your services you have to pay the remaining nine million back so you know that's a problem and sometimes I think that I think Phillip's right is it does you know sometimes maybe players are playing because they just don't want to pay the money back and so they're going to go through it and I think that that's a little bit of a of a loophole that has to get worked out and I think it is does involve player safety but Keekly I mean the, the the Panthers are going to have to work around their cap they're going to have to figure out a way to and that's why this CBA is so damn important because it'll open up a whole landscape of free agency more trades, different things happening because you'll be able to prorate money out. The June 1 date might come back in and teams will be a little bit more active within their cap as opposed to right now, everything is kind of a little bit a little bit stuck and they're going to stay in place. All right, well, as always, it'll be interesting to see what happens with regards to the players. And like Mike said, we're taping this Wednesday morning, so later today we'll find out more with regards to NFLPA. Mike and I are always hustling out there. I was a, a recent guest, once again, on the Ryan Rosillo podcast, so check that out on The Ringer. And Mike was a guest, NFL with Nia, on this podcast. And she said, you talked about football philosophies, Bill Belichick, Bill Walsh, Al Davis, said it was an honor. So I look forward to listening to that podcast you did with Nia. 
Yeah, it was awesome. I, you know, I mean, the more international we can go, I think the better off we'll take the GM Shuffle. At some point, we got to. At some point, we will get to the mountain, which is basically Holstein's. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> the good news is you started with a DiMaggio reference, and we ended up with Marciano and Uncle Junior along the way. I love it. Enjoy the Carolinas, my friend. We'll talk next week.